what's amazing is that people who have used that experience to get a quote are 350% more likely to move ahead and actually get a formal quote from Allstate. Wondering what that was all about? Well, hang in there. You're going to hear a lot more about that soon. Hello and welcome or welcome back. Matthew Grant here, partner at Instec London. And as the nights draw in and autumn is definitely in the air over here in London, it's great to be talking again, at least virtually, to another guest from California this week. Now, of course, this company needs no introduction, but I was surprised to find out just how much Google and Google Cloud are doing to support the analytics that are driving change across so many areas of insurance these days. Marcus East has a fascinating job and a really interesting career behind him, working for some major companies around the world. And today, as part of the office of CTO, he has a chance to work with some of the largest companies in the world, also some of the most innovative, and is also now spending time in, in looking at insurance himself. Now, there's so much in this episode, I'm not even gonna try and summarize it, so you just have to crack on and listen. So, Marcus, delighted to have you joining us for the Instec London podcast. You've got a fascinating career. You are most definitely the first person I've interviewed, I think even come across, who actually started or, or actually at one point in their career was working for Comic Relief. So really looking forward to hearing about your career journey and then, of course, what you're up to these days at Google. Yeah, thank you for having me, Matthew. It's an absolute pleasure to be um, on the podcast. And I think we're going to have a very exciting conversation. My journey into technology has been a, an interesting one in that I guess there are two halves to my career. There is the tech part. So I have spent six years in IBM where I was working on all sorts of things, big e-business projects. I spent four years at Apple where I worked on many of the Apple products that Apple actually uses to sell its own um, products and services to consumers so the Apple website and the Apple e-commerce platform. And now I'm at Google. The other half of my brain is definitely much more focused on how do you use the technology to do good for the world and to deliver real value. And that's what led me to Comic Relief. And one of the things that it taught me is that the potential for technology to transform exists in pretty much every sector. Um, you just have to have the innovative approach to, to unlock it. Well, you've got a fantastic roster of employers. I also noticed you've worked for Marks and Spencers and more recently, National Geographic. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to learning some of the experiences, particularly when it comes to innovation and what drives innovation. But before we jump into that, it would be useful just to understand what you're doing now at Google and, and more specifically, you know, what is the, the role of being part of the office of the CTO? We have a very unusual brief in that we're part of engineering, so we typically are focused on engineering tasks and tackling problems using technology. But because we're quite experienced and most of us are former CTOs, there is an expectation that we spend time thinking about the future. What are the things that we as a company need to be building towards in three to five years' time? What will our customers need and how can we help them? So that helps us to develop the products that Google and Google Cloud takes to market. 
We also do a lot of market shaping, which is doing great interviews like this and, and presentations and writing articles and sharing our knowledge. And that's partly because a lot of people acknowledge that Google has great technology, but they really don't know how to fully engage with us. And so by doing those market shaping activities, it gives us an opportunity to just make um, what we're doing much more visible. And the final thing that we do in the office of the CTO is we work with Google's biggest customers to help them solve their most challenging technical and business problems. And what's nice is that we have the full kit bag of Alphabet and Google to draw on. We're not just focused on a simple set of products. We have the ability to create something that is unique for that customer's particular needs. Well, we're going to talk, Marcus, shortly about some of your experience of working in insurance and, and you were involved recently with Brit and the key project. So really, really looking forward to hearing how you found that. But one of the other things I came across is you wrote an article back in September last year about how to join a tech company, just talking about the articles you've written, which you know, given your experience, I think is, is really helpful. Although I did also notice that you too started you off your uh, career in computing or your interest in computing with the ZX81. I guess the difference is for you that kind of set you off on a, a career of wanting to work with technology computers. Whereas for me, I think it had the opposite effect, but uh, <laughs> um, I think it'd be a, it's rather like learning Latin. I think if you can get people to program using a ZX81 Sinclair, then uh, that might be a good, good background. Um, now, we want to talk a little bit about innovation. Uh, Google is well known for innovation. You've, you've talked a little bit about it. But as you've come in, uh, and we should have said you joined a year ago from National Geographic, I mean, what, what has struck you about what you're seeing at Google and how it creates? And I guess also the challenge is to maintain that culture of innovation versus other organizations you've seen or what you might not have seen from the outside. Mm, great, great questions. One of the reasons I joined Google was that I recognized its leadership when it came to innovating, both in software, but also in, in building products for consumers. And, and what's nice about that is that today, Google is making available to enterprises around the world, like Brit Insurance, technologies that are based on what it had to build for its own business. And I think that's really unique in the marketplace. There are many commercial offerings and there are many companies selling products but there aren't many companies who are making available technologies and solutions that they built for themselves to run their own business. It's worth touching upon the breadth of everything that there is within Alphabet and Google. Obviously, a lot of people will be familiar with things like Google Maps. Lots of people have Android devices that are powered by the operating system that, that Google developed and made available. YouTube is the place where people typically go first when they want to consume content. And of course, Google search is, is the platform of choice for many consumers when it comes to searching. But all of those things are only made possible through technology and through the great innovations that Google's culture has unlocked. So things such as Kubernetes, which is our technology for allowing people to um, create containerized architectures. Um, that was developed because we needed it for our business and therefore we were able to make that available. So what I think is great about the culture in Google is that yes, there's a lot of people who are thinking about the next 
big idea. But everything that we do is grounded in reality and grounded in our experience of actually using these technologies. Back in, I think, November of last year, I met with the leadership from Brit Insurance at a Google event in London. And I was quite taken by the fact that the leadership there, including the CEO and the CFO, were both very focused on unlocking innovation, not only for their business, but for, industry, for the industry generally. And when I asked why they were talking to Google, they acknowledged that even though Google hadn't at that point articulated to them or articulated the industry very clearly, um, you know, a set of products that you could just buy off the shelf in order to, to innovate in insurance, they recognized that there was something in the Google culture that was a little bit magical that they wanted to tap into. And that ultimately led us to work together on the creation of something called Key, which is the first um, algorithmically driven AI-based syndicate on the Lloyds of London marketplace. And for me, that's a brilliant example of where we've been able to take our culture, our innovation, and work with a, an important customer to help them unlock new uh, value in the marketplace. Brits, a really interesting organization, I guess, for a couple of reasons. Because I've known Matthew Wilson, the CEO, for about 20 years now. And mm. they and he have always been keen to figure out, is there a better way of doing things externally and you know, looking to outsource or, or subcontract, but also be willing to take the risks. And I, what was interesting when they went public with this, and actually I interviewed Mark Allen and James Birch at the time, who Mark's the CFO. Uh, yes. you know, they were very clear that whilst the industry's got these challenges of trying to overcome frictional costs and legacy systems. You know, the Brit viewers, just to see what they could do to make a difference. And in a sense, you know, there's, a, there's a valid and a very exciting concept around this, but it was also just to move things forward. Another question around the culture of Google though is there, certainly from the external point of view, there's a belief that Google gives people a certain number of hours in the week to, to go off and do their own side projects. And everybody I've worked in Google doesn't seem to have spare time to go and do that. But I mean, how, how does it, the culture combine that desire to let innovation flourish internally with the realities that people have got day jobs to do and you know they're always demanding deadlines uh to, to achieve yes it, you know it's always an interesting balance i think that the best way to describe it is that for many leaders across google the idea of allowing people to devote times to things that they are personally passionate about is sacred and so they protect that and they try to create an environment where that is possible. And some of the great innovations that came out of that, we call it 20% time, include things like Gmail. You know, Gmail is a product which is now used by over a billion people each month. That wasn't some smart product managers who said, hey, we've done a market analysis and we've identified a need for a new email product. It was a group of engineers using their 20% time to develop something that they thought was a better solution to email than what was available in the marketplace today. So it is an important part of the culture. I think there is a reality though that Google Cloud is a growing business, much of Google is growing. And people are under, I guess, increasingly compelling um, targets and people increasingly have a need to deliver whether it is a, an important project for a customer like Brit or whether it is maintaining and running a platform that's being used by billions of consumers. 
So there were never enough hours in the day. But nearly everybody that I know, no matter how busy they are, including myself, tries to devote a little bit of time to innovation, to thinking about the future, to building towards the future, to working with new technologies. And I think that's another thing that's unique in the culture. I think in other tech companies, that freedom to explore is not enshrined in the culture in the same way that it is in Google. And also, of course, you're, you're very open to partnerships. You've got an initiative that is uh, helping startups get access to your, I guess, your, part of your technology, but also your support, don't you? I mean, that's also part of the history of Google is working with companies and, and bringing them in, which has got some interesting parallels for how insurers you know, have been looking at innovation, that balance between how to build it internally versus partnering. But can you just talk a little bit about how you, you know, how the organization works with early stage companies? So you've touched upon the Google for Startups program, which is a brilliant way in which organizations that um, meet certain criteria, so typically they have made some progress with their fundraising, they might have a relationship with a VC that we work with, we can make them part of the Google ecosystem, which gives them access potentially to things like credits to allow them to get up and running more quickly so they can use some of the Google services that that we've made available. But also they get access to time with Google experts. Um, So one of the organizations that I personally mentor um, came out of the University of Oxford's foundry. It's an incredible business called ILOF, which has found a way of using photonics and machine learning to identify a high propensity for somebody to develop Alzheimer's. And it's, it's market leading, it's incredible technology that came out of PhD research. And and what's great is as part of the Google, the startups initiative, they were able to get credits that allowed them to build their platform very quickly in Google Cloud. But more importantly, they were then able to get access to specific experts within Google who could help them with some of the challenges that they were facing. Um, And that comes back to this, your earlier question about 20% time, in that people are often volunteering some of their time to help organizations like that. But these are very experienced, highly qualified people. And I know that many of the startups that we work with do find that to be a really compelling reason to be part of the Google ecosystem. And I would encourage any startups out there who are listening to this who think that they could benefit from that kind of partnership, they should explore it with the Google for Startups team. Yeah, and that whole area of digital health clearly has been accelerated by what's happened in the in the last few months. And from an insurance perspective, yeah, there's, there's a sort of parallel but often overlapping track with what's happening in the, in the property space or property and casualty space with with life and health. You mentioned Oxford, of course, you're, you're talking to us just now from from California. Is, it, is that because that's where the heart of Google is and therefore to, to sort of have a, a role as part of the, the office as a CTO, you have to be based in California or do you just have enough of the weather in the UK? I get this question a lot, Matthew. I actually first moved out to the States full-time in 2014. So moved out to Silicon Valley. And one of the things I realized was that it is much easier to drive forward with big decisions when you are in the Bay Area. But you know, in London, uh, we have fantastic offices in London. And some of the greatest innovation 
that I've seen in, in my time at Google has come out of what's happening in the UK. So I think that what we're experiencing now with COVID-19 has helped to accelerate what I think will be the future reality. And that's that it doesn't matter as much where people are, as long as they have access to the tools and the platforms to allow them to communicate and collaborate. A lot of young people often ask me, they say, Marcus, how do I join a tech company? You know, do I need to be in Silicon Valley? And I think the answer is no. I am here not because there are no opportunities in the UK. I'm here because it just so happens that my role really requires me to, to be here. But there are people in the office of the CTO based in London, based in Munich, based in Tokyo, based all around the world. You made, you made a choice to move to California. I worked for a company based in, in the Bay Area as well for 20 years and, and so I had to put up with late night management calls on a <laughs> Friday evening. <laughs> but um, it, is a wonder, it is a wonderful place. But it is very interesting. I mean, there's a, there's a sort of enthusiasm and a, and a belief that things can happen you get in California versus there's a sort of the variety you get in London of people from an insurance point of view are just you know, underwriting virtually anything. And in one day, you can see all sorts of different people. But I, I want to come back, Marcus, to talk a little bit about the cloud because uh, yeah, Google is one of the, the larger cloud providers out there. But for people that don't you know, understand the cloud these days, I think most people are listening will know what the cloud is, hopefully. But, but what's your advice for organizations that are looking to make choices between different cloud vendors? I mean, how do people distinguish between what Google does or all the other organizations out there? This is the $64 million question. I think this is really important, Matthew, so I'm glad you raised it. My advice to organizations is not to focus exclusively on the technology. You've got to think about the wider ecosystem. So as an example, within the Google Cloud platform, we have made available 20,000 plus public data sets that our customers are able to combine with their own proprietary data to help them drive more insights, to drive more analytics. Another factor is this idea that you want to make sure that you are going to have support from people within the company. And I think in examples like the one we discussed previously with Brit, we, Google, have demonstrated a real appetite to invest in and to work with our customers in order to help them tackle these difficult problems. And the third thing I would say is that when it comes to choosing the partner, I think it's important that organizations avoid lock-in. And one of the things that we believe in very passionately at Google is that technology should be open people should not be locked into a particular technology. So we embrace concepts like hybrid cloud, where many of our customers are connecting their data center-based applications and systems with things that run in the cloud. And we support that very easily using a, a solution called Anthos. We also support multi-cloud. And, and personally, as a, as a CTO, I have advised many other CTOs and CIOs that you shouldn't commit to working with only one cloud provider. It makes sense to have a little bit of diversity. But the most important thing to think about is what is the specific value that I can get from that particular provider that's really core to my business? And in insurance, we have seen for many customers that has been access to Google's advanced data analytics tools. And you, know, you, you'll know this from your experience, Matthew. Many people have spent years 
trying to build the perfect data warehouse and the perfect data lake strategy. The reality is that's very hard to do. And increasingly, people are just coming to Google and saying, we know that you have tools like BigQuery, which are very sophisticated, very easy to use, and where we don't pay a license fee, we upload our data sets, we run our workloads, and then we only get charged for what we actually used. And getting access to the Google culture have been instrumental. And so I'd encourage your listeners to think about more than the technology as they start to approach using the cloud. That's really interesting. I guess it's part of a theme we're seeing everywhere. The technology has to be good, but it's then what you do with it and who your partners are. I mean, I'm, I'm running a bit of an experiment just now where I've got both a, an Apple MacBook Pro and a, a Dell computer. So I'm sort of working, living in the Microsoft world and the Apple, mm-hmm. Apple world. And it's actually, it is interesting how you, there is so much convergence in there, differences around the edges. And I guess what you're saying is for people who want that ability to be able to move between different cloud platforms it's relatively easy to switch the platform but the benefit you get is is a combination of the support and then the sort of the back end services the analytics maybe some preferential pricing but ultimately it's it's becoming more and more um i don't want to underplay what google cloud is doing but more commoditized in terms of what you get from a a cloud provider i I do do think that's right to, to some extent and there are a couple of areas where I say there's an exception. We've touched upon one of them, which is data analytics, where you know, even companies that have made big commitments to other cloud providers have realized that there's value to working with Google around data. So that's key. And the other area, and this was important in the Brit um, case study that we talked about, is artificial intelligence and machine learning. And the, the other reason that that's interesting for Google is that all of the tools that Google is making available for AI are really driven out of Google's own use of artificial intelligence in its products. Anyone who uses Gmail will know that Gmail now has an also complete function that helps you finish your sentence as you start typing. That's machine learning in action, and that's been developed over decades. And that's a very powerful testament to the fact that machine learning is kind of built into the fabric of Google. And that's another area where some customers have come to us and say, look, we do most of our work with another provider, but we want to get access to your leadership when it comes to machine learning. And we're very receptive to that. We are not saying to customers, hey, we don't work with you unless you bring all of your uh, business to Google Cloud. That's, that's just not part of our culture. What we'll say is, yeah, if you want to help with that particular use case, that's a great place for us to start. We hope that we can do more with you, but if you just want to talk about machine learning, we're very happy to start the conversation there. And we're confident that once people experience some of the solutions that we've built and experience what it's like to work with Google, that they will be very receptive to doing more with us in the future. So I want to just come back to that insurance theme as well. So as, as you look at this, you know, either through your sort of personal lens or, or through the, uh, I don't want to say Google glasses, but, but through a Google perspective, um, <laughs> What, what, what do you, where do you see the greatest opportunities to be in insurance? I mean, you've had the experience with Brit. You, you've, you, I know when you're over here, you spend some time in Lloyd's. Any areas that you're particularly interested in, in personally or, th- or through your colleagues? Yeah, definitely. So I, I'll come at it from two perspectives. There's the technology areas, uh, and it, it lines up with what I said before. There's no doubt that there's big opportunities around data and big opportunities around AI for insurance. 
But the best way to think of it is in the context of the business of insurers. And one of the things that I think is, is very exciting, for example, is the potential for technology to drive better personalized experiences for consumers. One of the things that I am very sensitive to is whether or not the organization I'm doing business with is there for me and is providing me with convenient ways to do business. And a really good example of that would be the way in which some of the leading insurance companies, consumer-oriented insurance companies, have embraced this idea of building great customer experiences. So Allstate, which is a, a big insurance company here in the United States, they built an application called Good Home, which was very simple. You go to their website, you type in your address, and it uses Google Maps together with some other data that's been made available to provide you with compelling information about your property. So what's incredible is you type in your address, it literally zooms down to your property, brings up a picture of it using Street View, and then talks to you about the characteristics of your property. And what's amazing is that people who have used that experience to get a quote are 350% more likely to move ahead and actually um, get a formal quote from, from Allstate. So personal experiences for, for consumers, I think, is an incredibly valuable area. That said, I, I feel that some of the most exciting opportunities come in things like claims processing and claims adjustment. And that's because of the dependence on data. And a good example there would be the work we did with USAA. And we worked with them to develop something called VDE, which stands for Vehicle Damage Estimator. Very simple concept. They wanted to reduce the time it took to come up with a cost for fixing a repair to damage that had been done to a motor vehicle. But what about on the commercial side? I mean, you talked a bit about the personal lines, but are you seeing anything happening on the commercial side? And I guess the other question would be, you know, given there's still something like 60% in the developed world of losses are not insured, are you, are you seeing anything on you know, what's traditionally been considered uninsurable because either it's just you're too difficult to be able to quantify in this big shift to intangible assets mm. uh, and the big, big focus for Lloyd's just now. Uh, so I'm just, yeah, I'd be interested in anything you, you can talk about or you're prepared to share either or both on commercial or looking into some of these new previously uninsured areas. Yeah, let me start with the uninsured areas because I think that's incredibly important. There's enormous benefits to society if we're able to help people to better insure their risks. Um, and what I'm really excited about there is there are companies who are building products that will allow consumers who maybe didn't realize that they had a risk that could be insured to easily get access to that insurance. So. Um, in fact, uh, the former managing director of Aviva Digital, um, Andrew Schmidt, he's recently started a new fintech business, which is absolutely focused on enabling consumers to make better decisions about their personal finances by making recommendations based on their spend. And a lot of that comes from the open, ba open banking API that's providing insights into the transactions that they are conducting. And what I think is powerful about that is as, as customers and consumers in particular who didn't realize that they had a need can be prompted 
by these intelligent agents that, hey, if you were to do this, this would protect you. I think that's very, very powerful. And I think that's going to be an interesting way for insurance companies to grow the market and to, to make sure that they have the ability to serve customers cost effectively. Because we all know that one of the reasons that there are many people who are uninsured and many risks that are uninsured is because the cost of servicing them would be too high. And then to go back to commercial insurance, one of the things that I have seen is that it's almost getting back to basics. For many of the commercial insurance companies, they have a huge amount of data that they manipulate on a daily basis. There is a huge amount of documentation that flows around. Uh, and we believe that there are opportunities to help with some of those processes. A good example would be a tool that we built called Document Intelligence, which has been trained against billions of documents and now has the ability to identify what a document is, what its purposes are, what are the entities that are referred to in this document. And the costs that commercial insurers bear right now for some of the administration of the policies, I think could be transformed by embracing those sorts of solutions. Um, so there's, you know, there's a long way to go. I'm not going to suggest that we've solved all the problems, but I do think that we're starting to see some really interesting innovations and Brit's a good example, I think, of that. Yeah, no, it certainly sounds like you've got a good grip on some of the challenges. I mean, one of the, one of the, outcomes of everybody being remote in the last few months is that there's more and more data moving around through emails that now has to be extracted and and yeah. turned into contact. I mean, it's better than people sharing bits of paper that were then photocopied, <laughs> which is what happened before. But yeah, it's certainly making that even more of a even more of a challenge. Well, Marcus, we should we should bring it to a close there. But just before we we wrap up, I just a little bit of a uh, PR for our forthcoming event with you and your colleagues from Google Cloud in the beginning of November when we're going to be talking a little bit more about some of the experiences from you know, the members of the office of the CTO about Google Cloud, Google, and this particular area about you know, lessons from innovation uh, from people who come up all across different industries. Actually, it's going to be really interesting. I'm not quite sure how we're going to pack you know, all this content into, into now, but yeah, if anybody listening is interested in that, look out for it and a chance to hear Marcus from you again. And actually, you potentially even ask you some ask you some questions directly, but um, that's been really helpful. Any any final uh, comments you'd like to make before we uh, before we part ways? Yeah, I guess my only final reflection is that going back to this idea of US versus UK, I think there is a a realization in the US that London in particular is a hotbed of innovation. Um, in a number of areas, we see a lot of interest in what's happening in insurance, and that's driven by organizations such as yours that are doing a great job of showcasing the innovation that's taking place in, in the UK marketplace. So I do think that London has a unique spot um, in the world when it comes to innovation in insurance. And certainly I'm excited once we get over COVID-19 to come back to London and to continue the conversations that I've started with some of the companies based there, um, because there is a ton of potential and a lot of excitement in Google about how we can help those sorts of companies. Brilliant. Well, we might even get you on stage in our, uh, our railway arch that's otherwise a nightclub with some scrubbed bricked walls, which is you know, the perfect 
venue for innovation and learning what's going on in the market well into the evening. So, no, thank you, Marcus. It's been delightful talking to you and thank you for spending some time. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. It's been a great conversation. Well, as our regular listeners know, no need to listen with a pen in your hand. Many of our podcasts now also have a write-up of the interviews on the website, usually coming out a few days after we go live. So you can recap what we said or share it with somebody else. Uh, you also heard me mention our event coming up in November when I'll be hosting a roundtable with Marcus, some of his colleagues from the office of the CTO at Google and another leading industry figure. All of them have got really fascinating backgrounds. Details are going to be released soon, but if you work with an insurer and would like to be invited, then please do contact me, Matthew at instec.london or of course via LinkedIn. Now, we've had a great summer of releasing weekly live events chaired by Robin uh, myself and look out for more to come this autumn and if you too would like to take part in our discussion or host an event or become a member then please do contact us all you need on the website www.instec.london. Mm-hmm.